Welcome back to another week of the Twin Geekcast. We took a week off so we could produce a fun new video game podcast called the uh, Daydream. Daydream. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what it's called. The Daydream. Yeah, the Daydreamcast. <laughs> and uh, we have our friend uh, Pablo's here with us. Yeah, hi. Hello. Hi, welcome here. Video uh, games, yeah. but also movies. Yes, and it, you've also uh, come on as a writer now for the site as well. We'll have a piece from you uh, this week so, to show off as well, which is a, a very, right. very wonderful, very well-written piece about uh, the Taiwanese well, New Wave, right? Right, it's about the film that sort of kicked off uh, that uh, that New Wave, yeah. It's nice to, to Maybe see. in the future I can write about, uh, more about it, Yeah, uh, like about other films and, and the movement, uh, but yeah. Of course, it's a wonderful piece. I think uh, very happy to to have it on the site here as well. A little more uh, looking back at some of the other areas in film that uh, we have not covered as much on the site yet. So it's very nice to have here as well as to have you in general here. And uh, very excited, of course, about the the new podcast here you are hosting with our other writer on yes. the site, Bro. Right. Yeah. Um, obviously, um, you all know him from uh, from his ex- uh, excellent and funny, very funny uh, Bond. <laughs> A series of articles um and uh, yeah we uh right we're doing that now and uh, we already uh, have uh, big plans for it <laughs> like uh, thinking up of uh, potential games and uh, you know episode episode ideas and uh it's gonna be fun we're gonna have guests also of course it's not gonna be just us two all the time yeah, I was... eventually some of our staff will rotate through and we'll discuss. You're open <laughs> to pretty much any game. I mean, you started with minutes, so it's not uh, up to the minute games, ironically. <laughs> yeah, right. We're gonna be picking from all sorts of uh, um, you know periods of of gaming and platforms, and uh, it's probably gonna be a lot of uh, unorthodox, obscure picks. Uh, yeah, the the first so one, Call the... of Duty. <laughs> Call of Duty and uh, Fort. The next week is Fortnite. Fortnite. Um, I don't know Fortnite. if you've heard Never, of that. What's that? Uh, it's like an indie game. <laughs> oh, okay, I like indie games. Tell yeah. me more. <laughs> uh, it's like Minecraft, except okay. you shoot. Another indie game that I really enjoy. Minecraft. Oh, you've played that one? Oh. Uh, Never yeah. actually met it's, anyone who's heard of it. Yeah. It's made by Knock. He's a he's a good guy. <laughs> okay. So I to move on. <laughs> well, we do have the okay. uh, we do have the first episode of the Daydream Cast up now. It went up uh, today on our site. Yeah, it's up. <laughs> yeah, which is wonderful. I recommend everyone go ahead and take a listen to it. Uh, cover some more of our, our geek coverage there. Eventually, we'll get on yes. to the other geek genres. I'm sure. Please listen and please uh, bear in mind that this is a test episode and is a bit wonky on the technical side. But future episodes will be not wonky. Uh, it will be rock the solid. Next week, we're going to start a war gaming podcast for uh, Pavlo with his <laughs> uh, with his German board gaming. It's it's true. Yeah, it's going to alternate. You know, uh, every other week is going to be uh, video games and then board games. The next one, yeah. We have to get to all the hot topics, <laughs> right? It's it's. Um, speaking of, I've decided I'm starting my own podcast. Oh. I watch. <laughs> I watched wrestling this week. I watched WrestleMania, and I decided I'm going out on my own, and I'm starting the Twin Geeks wrestling show. Is that happening, wrestling? That's what I was going to ask as wrestling? well. Wrestling, is it happening? Everything, like, I thought all sports okay, were so shut down. Okay, so it did happen. It did? Empty, empty, uh, is the stadium empty, yeah. or? 
So WrestleMania, you know, is like the second biggest sports event after like Super Bowl, like attendance wise. We have like eighty thousand people that come. Yeah. And the whole thing about wrestling is it's all charisma and audience base. So it's a lot of call response and no audience at all this time. It's it's very uh, weird. Okay. I imagine like a lot of that like changes things. Like some of the uh, uh, one mm-hmm. of the, the the comedy news shows I've watched, they no longer have their their stand in audience, and it's it's very odd right. because mm-hmm. there's still pauses for like in the delivery for jokes <laughs> and it's just silence and it's very surreal all the wrestlers still play to the audience like daniel bryan still comes out and does his yes chant but there's no audience there so uh gronkowski right. from the uh, patriots comes out he's doing the chant with him i mean there's a there's even the final match like the main event of wrestlemania they just recorded so it's like a small movie um it's like undertaker like in a graveyard with some guy i don't know because i only watch wrestling this once a year and they have like a, a bunch of hooded figures coming out and it's very weird they have very determined shots it's obviously all staged and, and there's a lot of <laughs> what to it it's real it's, God a, damn it. it's not real i mean it's <laughs> it, it could be real but uh, it's real to me uh it also because of the lack of audience you hear like you know what like when their boots supposed to go across their face you hear them slap their thighs or whatever you hear like the you hear all the little cues they do for their moves, which is very interesting. <laughs> weird. That sounds weird. Yeah, it was it was a surreal experience, and yeah. for some reason they split it into two days. Like uh, the one six hour program wasn't enough. Um, since I only watch this one time a year, I watch right afterwards so I can scrub through it. So I'd say I watched <laughs> like four matches total, but uh, worth like the ten bucks a year to uh, kind of reingratiate with the wrestling community and. Uh, just to see what kind of bullshit they're doing. Oh, I assume especially since it's the, right. I imagine the only sporting thing really going on right now. Are there any like? <laughs> hey, yeah, that's not quite true. Oh, oh. Uh, don't you forget about Marbula One, uh, which is marble racing. Marble um, racing. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I'm not making that's this up. Been, <laughs> that's always been a socially distant sport, the marble race. That's it's true. That's what I'm waiting for. I'm waiting for the the distant source, like or like the singular ones, to kind of come out of the fray now and take up. Like where where are the ski ball championships? I think that would be something we can all turn on the channel for now. Yeah. Also, the candidates tournament, uh, the chess uh, candidates tournament, um, which determines the challenger for the world championship. Um, was going on actually and actually they played uh like for a good bit there when everything else had already you know cancelled um and um they had to cancel it uh after round seven out of nine uh oh. they only had two more so, <laughs> so what happened did they did they award the the championship or they can there were some uh, concerns that the players wouldn't be able to fly back home uh if they uh played played the rest of it out yeah, like uh, sure. it would be too late for them to return so they just uh you know they just um right called it quits so, after seven rounds they're still gonna I play wonder, the last two rounds at some point but yeah you're very invested in like the chess world so would it be a big burden for it to be virtual or is there something that you really want to be physical and in person with chess no, it's totally possible, and it's done uh, in some <clears throat> in some specific cases. Obviously, you will have to have some arbiter be there, some referee like who mm-hmm. um, checks. I would like obviously be there with the player uh, at their uh, at the PC and like uh, check uh, that everything's uh, you know that no assistance is used and stuff like that. 
But uh, but no, it's possible. I'm not sure they're gonna do it for this p- particular instance. They could. They could. Maybe even right. they should. But uh, no idea if they if this plans for that. But no, it's feasible. It's feasible theoretically. It's it's feasible and it's done in some some specific cases. Yeah. And your beloved Wimbledon is cancelled. My tennis, my sports entertainment is uh, yeah, it's it's dead in the water. It's really. <laughs> really sad um you know it's also dead in the water uh, new movie releases uh, <laughs> it's it's still the case everywhere and that's why we have to keep finding new things that are also dead to talk about each week <laughs> <laughs> so i've asked you guys to look at like what you're streaming and i think uh, pavlos has some ideas yeah um so i uh well i can i can talk about one movie that's streaming uh pretty sure it's on the criterion channel isn't it um straight that's uh, straight time ah uh, yeah. from I, straight time i don't believe that one's streaming on the criterion channel right now but it is an interesting film and i think uh one that deserves to be highlighted uh, right anyhow yeah i, I think he, like here obviously it's different in the u.s uh, i can already talk about like in germany you can rent it on prime and it's definitely worth it uh, it's a film by um by um ulu grobar uh which is a or Grossbird, whatever you want to, however you want to pronounce it. He's like Belgian, originally from Belgium, but uh, then uh, um, immigrated to the U.S. Um, and it's a film uh, about a um, sort of petty like thief who uh, gets out on parole and has to sort of start his uh, like sort of restart his life. Um, but obviously struggles struggles with with uh, that task, uh, also because of um, his parole officer being um, being uh, you know a problem, being uh, a, a a despot of of, of a kind, um, and uh, yeah, it's um, it's it's really uh, it's really it's a film with a great like reserved style and like told with with uh, great patience uh not dissimilar to the to the film we're going to talk about later um together uh it's very grounded and very like like refreshingly unexcited um and it plays a lot with like naturalistic dialogue um there's like people sort of misspeak um sometimes and but it all works out great um um, I'm not sure how much of a uh, sort of uh, life it has, like after you you watch it. Um, mm. But for the t- for the runtime, it's it's really uh, it's really enjoyable. I, um, I think there's some character the char- character work has has some flaws. There's uh, some mm-hmm. some problems there, but uh, easily uh, it's easily recommendable. It's, I would say it's a very interesting it's straight time. Right, I think it's a yeah. very interesting film from the like a crime film from the '70s, especially uh, you know for for Dustin Hoffman, who's a little different in the role than you usually get to see him. I suppose it's a like you said, it's a lot more reserved and uh, as opposed to the hyper stylized crime films of the the 1970s. Otherwise, and that's probably why it gets buried a lot, uh, and you don't hear it as much as well as like the less lasting impact, like you said, it has. But I think it is really interesting, and mm. if it ever you know becomes more widely available, you can rent it on Prime right now. Uh, which is, mm-hmm. you know, I, I would recommend to anyone who has an interest in this kind of film. Uh, yeah, it's definitely worth uh, checking yeah. out, and I'm glad that you enjoyed it, uh, having seen it as well. 
David, did you see anything? I did. Um, so th- I did see a couple of films uh, that are actually on the, the Criterion channel because, of course, I'm using that as my main spot for, for watching things at the moment because my beloved rental service in Portland is uh, closed still for the moment. Uh, and they uploaded a, a host of great stuff this month, uh, but especially there's uh, quite a few interesting uh, Frank Capra films to pick from, which I think is uh, perfect for the current time we're living in right now. His kind of idealized and super optimistic uh, style of storytelling is uh, kind of this perfect escape from the very uh, depressing reality we're currently living in. And the one that I watched I found particularly relevant uh, to today's time is uh, Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, starring uh, Gary Cooper and Gene Arthur, in which uh, Gary Cooper inherits uh, a great amount of money, $20 million in the midst of the Great <clears throat> Depression. And he, uh, you know, being a country bumpkin, doesn't know too much to do with it. And eventually, after being pressured by all of the greedy capitalistic forces that surround him that want to kind of abuse and take away his money and trick him, he ends up uh, giving it all away to all the, the people who are suffering and, you know, out of work after, you know, a couple of confrontations from them who, you know, the, the people call him out for his, you know, uh, overindulgence and abundance of uh, a windfall of money that he then, you know, hoards until he does the, the right thing, which is an entirely unrealistic scenario for today, but it's nice to, to indulge in that for a little bit and believe that, there could be someone who could do the right thing in such a time of economic struggle. I had just uh, revisited that looking through like early Oscar winners wanted to knock a few out and that one really stood out to me. Yeah, it's a wonderful film and there's a couple other Capras uh, on right now like uh, You Can't Take It With You as well which was a a big uh, Best Picture winner uh, when it came out as well. And so I'd recommend those for people who are looking for a little bit more escapism and uh, wholesome enjoyment uh, during this this hard time. It's important for us to also balance, you know, we want to watch like horror movies and movies that make us feel of the time, but uh, there are also a lot of movies that uh, we need to watch just because they're comfort. Right, it feels like uh, there's like a polar element here, like either everyone's watching Contagion and like indulging in the, the horror of what's going on, or they're watching, you know, frivolously, you know, Hollywood fluffy musicals and such to, to make themselves, you know, forget about things for a while. Oh, I was, uh, was going to say, although I have to say I'm, I'm a firm believer in catharsis. So uh, I, sh- <laughs> I will always uh, advocate for uh, not uh, skewing, um, you know, difficult movies and difficult times. Certainly. Uh, I'll always look for comfort through, like, other people's anxiety for me that um, being able to process some of the grief of this through a horror movie or something or a socially real commentary that's very hard-hitting, I, I think that helps me a lot. That brings me to uh, one of the new movies this week, uh, Never Rarely, Sometimes Always. Mm-hmm. Um, that one, you didn't end up seeing it at Berlin, Elia. No. Oh, I should say I'm, I live in Berlin. I didn't mention it at the start. But no, <laughs> I, I always love, I always go to Bernal, of course. Uh, love to be there, but no, I didn't catch that one. I thought your accent was from Oklahoma. I, I think I've been confused. Yeah, I hear that a lot, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, never rarely, sometimes always is a very gritty social conscious film that's set in New York, but uh, two girls come from Pennsylvania and they travel to get one girl's abortion. Um, I love the film because we never get to see the impact of it. We never get to see the pregnancy. We don't talk about the man. Uh, the film never questions her choices. Um, 
there's never a moment where it gives another option. It's always like she's chosen this, and this is like a hero's journey through the streets of New York, and uh, everyone's even their sudden movements all look very suspect. All the men look like they're preying on the girls, and uh, some of them are. Um, and mm. it's very difficult. the The title, of course, comes from a, a questionnaire she has to give a, you know. Like, is she, like, being sexually threatened? Uh, sometimes, rarely, never, always. Uh, I, I always get the title mixed up, but uh, it's a very good social film, and it has a lot of value and currency that I think uh, everyone will find rewarding right now. Yeah, cool. I, I had read your review of it that will go up on the site here shortly, and it definitely did seem very uh, moving for you there, and a very uh, important and prescient social drama that uh, often is not uh, represented uh, in a more conservative uh, filmmaking world that we live in Wait, over here. Yeah, <laughs> I've never seen this represented in this way, where it's just woman's choice, and that is the story. Like it's always something else, and there's always the drama or complication behind it. That's like a maybe you shouldn't go do this. You know, there's one woman at the beginning, and then uh, you know it's very difficult. Um, I, I feel like it should have a different title that tells women that it's such, like, an alarming film. Like, uh, I started watching with my wife, and she starts punching herself in the stomach to get rid of the baby. I'm like, oh, shit, you know, my wife had a difficult pregnancy. I better watch this alone. Mm-hmm. Do you want to um, let the people know how they, like, considering, you know, the situation right now, how, how they yeah. could watch this? Uh... I believe for everyone else, I think it's 20 bucks on Amazon Prime. Very right. worth it for me. I mean, mm-hmm. if you if you have a... It's it's a hard bargain though because uh, I feel like people should watch this alone and that's a worse value proposition. But uh, sure. one, maybe once it comes down in rental price, uh, I'd I'd highly recommend it later in the year. At least one to throw on the on the watch list. Uh, at yeah, the, at the very yeah. least. I, I it got second place in that Berlinale, and I wouldn't yeah. recommend twenty bucks for it. Uh, because you could own it for 20 bucks in a couple months. Sure, sure. That's always the, the yeah. difficult case that I guess that brings the question up of how uh, streaming services should address these new films in a, in a time right now where going to movie theaters is not an option. But like that $20 price yeah. is, is decided on because you've got the you're basically trying to equate it to a movie ticket price, which is anywhere between 10 and $15 per person. And assuming mm. on average two people maybe watch the film, that's where like the $20 price comes from. But it is hard, I think, for a lot of us to want to justify that price when we're sitting on our couch yeah. as opposed to having the big screen experience. <laughs> But the you know it's I mean, it's the trade off there because they got the studios to make their money too and you want to support them to support the you know the film yeah I mm. mean sometimes a movie like this I just want people to support the social social message of it I don't care when they do it in two months you'll buy it for eighteen dollars on Blu-ray and own it forever yeah I do wonder if we should uh, say obviously we we are all hoping that uh, uh, I mean uh, Berlin has a thriving art house. Uh, theater scene with, with like many many theaters uh very different theaters um and um like you can you can really like everyone can have like th- uh, different favorites because there's so many and they're so uh, all also so different in their own ways and uh obviously we all we're all hoping that uh when we can go back outside that uh you know our favorite uh, theaters will still be there yeah, uh, the chain theaters, I think, are having a, a very difficult time, at least the, the more art house theaters and such, uh, especially around me, I'm seeing are getting more immediate financial support. 
Uh, I saw in particular the Criterion Collection raised a lot of money, and in particular some of that went to to my local theater here, the Hollywood Theater in Portland, which uh, made me very happy, very wonderful, and it's easier to support them through memberships and donations and such, but the, the chain theaters, I don't think they have that same... Uh, you know <laughs> that same benefit exactly. They've, they've got to rely on their their parent companies there, who uh, may not be be able to to weather the storm as easily. Especially because this week we just got bad news for AMC that they have they've reduced their credit rating, so they're going to be able to loan even less money, and they're already in dire straits. So it's looking like if they can't come back by July, they're probably done with a lot of their theaters. Uh, that'll be a real shame if any closes the i mean even before <laughs> for for a long time we've always we've been talking about how theater attendance and the you know going out and seeing movies in general has been a declining mm-hmm. business and this this is a you know a tragedy that will only affect that you know severely in a negative way i'm very worried that endgame will forever be our most winning movie if you get rid of all the amcs there's just never going to be enough screens for anything to top that so unfortunately marvel is the peak of uh cinema attendance if if it helps i'm pretty sure if you adjust for inflation gone with the wind is still the most grossing film so i don't know if that's of course i don't know if that's better but it's not it's not marvel it's just racist you know southern revisionism (laughs) Uh, uh, as far as other options go, we have an uh, even greater option, I think, than renting on Amazon. I love our virtual screening libraries that we're getting. Like you're saying, um, I went and got back around through um, the Northwest Film Forum, which is a very important center where like uh, us like Seattle film critics go and we give talks on like diversity and we reach out to our community. We have like our own stand there that we uh, occasionally do reach for for the community. And so it's a it's important to keep those centers going that are like a funding Northwest Films and setting up with SIF. Um, so there are still options to support your local independent theaters, but um, these movies never would have came came to AMC. So they're left with uh, rental libraries of movies that came out three months ago because that's their structure. Yeah, I, I saw as well that um, Kino Lober, the uh, uh, Film, uh, the distribution company for a lot of uh, Blu-rays and such uh, for collectors and things uh, are the ones, uh, the main financer backing the release of uh, Bakara here, which is, I believe, the yeah. other film that we have uh, covered on the site recently, uh, which I, I think is the predominating uh, film just recently released, and it's a uh, it's a South American film, I believe, right, in the style of Spaghetti Westerns, yeah. as you said. Yeah, out of Brazil, so like tortilla westerns in a sense. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen. Uh, um, I. I'm sorry. I said I haven't seen too many of those. Um, you know, I know that's definitely one of our passions here on the podcast is to explore all sorts of kind of westerns and the history of that. And you've you've definitely covered a lot more of the uh, international ones. So, uh, what what makes this one uh, different? Um, I think the the main reason maybe because there's only like three or four that have come from Brazil. There's the one director who goes by I think Coffin Joe, who is uh, given his name in like a um, some very pulpy movies that uh, were like in the crime genre, but he always works in genre. And Brazil um, only has a few entries in it, and of course it's not really the West, so right. you gotta settle with that. But when you go into a modern Brazilian town 
and it's all paved dirt roads and, you know, dirt-made structures, adobe types, you kind of see the uh, context and foreground that it is the West, in a sense. It looks like our West. Well, well certainly, uh, the, the Western genre is not limited specifically by location, at least in a, in a spiritual way. We may dissect in, in genre, say, say, if it doesn't take place in the American West, it's not technically Western, but you can still be within the spirit and style of it while uh, representing a very different, um, you know, uh, place, culture, uh, still a lot of the same themes and ideals as uh, the American Westerns. You know, that's what we see even just going back to the, the huge boom of spaghetti Westerns, of course. That's, you know, what that is. I mean, it hardly matters that you throw in, like, some motocross bikes and some Jeeps, because it feels like this rundown town is the West. And the storyline is there's a rogue rebel group who's... Uh, shut down all of the town's internet and they're picking off villagers one by one they're just looking for their kill count so they're really you know just old western baddies looking for kills and um they're just reducing towns to rubble and there's a lot of politics in it the politicians bring in supplies that are like a, they're like here here's a truckload please vote for me because i'm your only option then they you know they dump six month expired meds on them and uh, it feels like this town is just completely run down, but they're, you know, very happy and indi individualistic. They they slip each other drugs and they they slip into like uh, trances and they have their own culture and their own way of life and they're trying to defend that against this rogue nationalistic group. Uh, in addition to the government who's infringing on their rights, but um, I love the blend of Maricone uh, style music. We have a, a soundtrack by Matias Alves. And uh, that blends with, uh, we even have like a John Carpenter track that blends in between Maricone style uh, inflected guitars. And uh, I really love that um, different approach that it takes. Yeah, I think that's an interesting take as well, especially with the kind of connection between Morricone and Carpenter. Uh, I was going to ask uh, Pavlos as well, do you have a, a general opinion on Westerns, both American and international, that you uh, feel about in any way? Uh yeah, but before I get to that, I just wanted to mention oh, actually yeah. that uh, it's a good opportunity to mention my, my favorite streaming service, which is uh, Mubi, right. M-U-B-I, uh, for the people that don't know it. And uh, I think, uh, I don't know uh, how it is uh, in the U.S., but I think, uh, well, here it, they actually um, they actually have the exclusive uh, rights, streaming rights to, to Bakura. Um, so it's on there currently, and oh. I will watch it. Um, at some point but yeah i thought that was a really nice get for them um uh so yeah i was happy to see that um, i'm starting to think that movie will be like the independent film landing board while the theaters are down i feel like they have a great opportunity to capitalize oh yeah that's one of their uh definitely one of their strengths is like uh collecting these festival films that you would never otherwise get a second chance to see realistically because they usually don't get a you know, real release, and they don't end up on the mainstream uh, uh, streaming how platforms. A, and yeah, how about westerns for you? Do you have like a preference of location or type? I no, I I I, I really like westerns. Um, both uh, well, I'm always interested in in uh, the neo western, um, but that stems just from from my uh, love for the for the uh, original uh, genre. Um, and uh, yeah, I've, like uh, I've, I have a lot of favorites, of course. Uh, the Searchers comes to mind. High Noon, uh, 
which which I really love. Um, I love. Uh, I should see more of them, but also uh, Anthony Mann, I think, is a great director. Um, yeah. So I'm always uh, and and obviously the spaghetti westerns and stuff also mm-hmm. um, fantastic. Uh, so no, it's it's a genre I really I really love. Though I'm you know I, I don't even come close to matching uh, David's uh, expertise uh, on it. Um, I, I did I did do a lot of western research and diving into the genre and really falling in love a couple years back. Of course, I've got that. Uh, I have. A couple pieces on the site were referencing to westerns. I did a, a list of what I thought were the ten kind of essential introductory westerns, yes. and like some of the greats. And it's a uh, it's Avengers tr- Endgame of uh, <laughs> Twin Geeks. Is that right? It's, it's something like that, I it's guess. Right. It's a uh, yeah. It, it it builds like that. It's like the the western cinematic universe, I guess. And it and it shows a uh, basically the goal with it was not to to rank or like say these are the best, but these are the most uh, emblematic of like the the evolution mm-hmm. of the genre so it starts off with one i did write a whole piece about which was stagecoach of course a john ford film who appears lots of times on the list you know unsurprisingly and how it like redefined uh, the genre in the 1930s and really revived it and all the way up to uh unforgiven in the 90s uh which was basically where clint eastwood yeah. you know kind of put his final stamp on the genre and it's a you know big uh, grand revisionist um reflection of everything that came before and hits a lot of the big points along the way including high noon like you mentioned as well which is also a major favorite of mine for how uh, simplistic and and subtextual it is but also very efficient and um you know calculated and i did a whole piece on that one as well about and about the the story structure and how time is used as a motif in the film yeah, I meant that it's the end game of a site because I think it's still the one with the most clicks, right? Isn't that? I think. Oh yes, yes, that, is, that as well. It's it is still the most popular on the site because people love yeah. love lists. They love to. And people I don't know. Lists. I don't and know how many of people one. actually read it, <laughs> but they at least looked over all I'd the entries. A good amount. Yeah. But... I think I put a lot of effort in that one a while ago. Uh, I think as I've watched more westerns, there's some things that would change about it. Like I regret not putting McCabe and Mrs. Miller on the list itself now, but mm. that's okay. It's in the. It's I in think the that calls for a sequel list. Uh, <laughs> you know, you can do the. I don't know what it, what is it called. You can do the same title just with like more. Right. Uh, more essential westerns uh, <laughs> for you to watch. Yeah, it's, <laughs> something like that. I'll, I'll put that idea. Essential alternate. Westerns or something? Yeah, some something like that. Another another ten greatest westerns or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's an idea. I'll save that idea um, certainly. <laughs> I uh, I guess I grew up around the format, so I guess my whole life I've kind of watched westerns. But uh, hmm. I I have to revisit a lot of the traditional ones because I feel like those are like my dad's movies, and uh, I I went with like the spaghetti and the Euro westerns a lot more often. But- I, I like the more stylistic ones generally. So, uh, I mean, I've spent a lifetime with all of them, but I wanted to find my own brand. And, right. Uh, that's why I lean towards something like Baccarat th- if I'm looking for a new what, one. What's your uh, What's your favorite neo western? Like both of you, uh, can you point to one? I think. I I mean, I guess I just go with like No Country. Or something. I I think that was the one I was going to say. That seems like the easiest one to state right away because it is. Uh, you know, mm. the, the Coen brothers are very good at capturing Westerns in general, not only in the couple they've made, but that one in particular really evokes the sense of, uh, you know, a, a Western setting while being contemporary. Uh, but there's been an, another series of uh, interesting and good ones here recently. 
I believe everyone really liked uh, Hell or High Water when that came out a couple years ago. It's it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I'm not yeah, in love, right. but um, yeah, yeah. But uh, I liked uh, Wind my, Wind River recently. That was all right. My favorite is actually uh, the assassination of uh, Jesse James. James. Yes, oh, which sure. came out right around the same time as uh, No Country for Old Men, I believe. Which is you know, yeah, it's kind of it's fantastic. Mm-hmm, really great. And I know th- those ones tend to top the list there in terms of uh, neo westerns. I was gonna say it's a surprisingly flexible genre. Um, you know, despite its very, you know, sturdy setting for the most part, again, and, and it's evolved in interesting ways over time. I don't even like hero films, but I, I'm very <laughs> fond of, like, uh, Logan. Um, I could watch Logan a yeah. lot. I think it's uh, pretty good, but it does, it does crib a lot sure. from Shane, which is, of course, a very classic Western, and I think the first one we covered on the podcast here, that was our first Western we have, yeah, we've we have. a lot now <laughs> in between these things and our main ones. I feel like a, our one scrapped episode, The Treasure of Sierra Madre, it, is kind of neo-Western. It is. I, it's I a, like it's a different a kind. And I, I wish we could have saved that episode, but it's okay. We've got more in the future, and I hope maybe next, uh, for, in the future we can get Pavlos on to talk about a Western with us as well. Definitely. Um, for sure. Uh but uh, we've highlighted a lot of great indie uh, streaming services, and now it's time to highlight one more the, with the Disney+. The indiest of all. <laughs> what's, what's that? Um, it's it's a small corporation. They they have a mouse as a mascot. Isn't that cute? That's, uh, it's, that's it's surprising. Adorable. They've been yeah. holding on for such a long time. You know, they started a very long time ago, and, you know, somehow they've blossomed into uh, this, this, you know... Very tiny, but all-consuming uh, corporate entity. That's. <laughs> I think. Uh, I think what did it was in the '90s. They were like, "We're very desperate. We're not making any money on Lion King and Aladdin." And they're like, uh, "David Lynch, could you come save us?" And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, I'll make a cool movie that's, about a guy." That, that's kind of the fascinating you. thing is that the, those two things don't seem to go together in your mind you don't think you're like david lynch making a disney movie that that does not sound at all like something that would work but it does it's it's actually quite an incredible film and not at all like uh it doesn't take away from the classical lynchian elements that you expect from his films though it is uh g-rated of course (laughs) which so this is a story of uh, Alvin Strait. It's based on a true story, and I think it is very true, and it is a straight story. I mean, the title self-descriptive, that it's going to be direct, and it's about uh, just a man like traveling back to his past and going back to where he was a child, and uh, he wants to drive a new John Deere tractor to go visit his brother Lyle. Yeah, his brother is uh, dying, and he makes a, a mission out of it. Or maybe not dying, but in very poor health. And he makes a mission out of it, and uh, despite his own, you know, crippling health and everything, and he can't drive himself. He has poor eyesight, terrible hips, and everything. So all he can afford to drive on is this uh, little John Deere tractor. And he travels for weeks and weeks across state lines to try and mend the relationship that's been broken for more than a decade. Yeah, he's going from uh, Iowa to Wisconsin here, and so it's mostly all cornfields and like uh, rolling hills with the, uh, you know, and he's just on this little tractor because his eyesight's too bad, and his daughter has uh, intellectual disability, played by a sissy's basic, 
I didn't even realize Did like it was her for like the first five minutes. I was I was really no. you know bowled over by her performance there, which I found was so uh, very convincing. Even though she's such a small part of the film, it took me a second. I was like, oh, oh, that's Sissy Spacek. That's a it's a really incredible and uh, convincing performance. I think. Um, I I find it. I mean, it's it's funny the way that David Lynch is funny. Like, it's not no. making fun of intellectual disability or anything. But she's also kind of stammering over words and talking in Lynch speak. She's like, I want a, a birdhouse for bluebirds. You know, she's like talking in like double speak that uh, Lynch would have that's like Americanized. It's like Americanese, I should say. Mm. Yeah. I, that's a good way to it's, put it. It's, yeah. That's, I think, the most predominant Lynchian element of the film is this uh, fixation with a uh, small town Americana and the eccentricities of it, which is something, of course, you also see uh, in the other Lynch film we covered on the podcast, which was Blue Velvet, a major, you know, uh, facet of his uh, fixation there. And I think this one really uh, demonstrates that in an interesting way that that midtown Americana spirit again, with especially in the the filming of the vistas of it and the big rolling hills and the long stretching highways. It's it's a beauty of the the country I think sometimes we forget about on the coast here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. It, it was um it was a first watch for me, uh, mm-hmm. as well. Uh well maybe I don't know if Calvin had uh, uh, did you was this a rewatch for you or Yeah it was. Yeah. Uh, okay. So for me it was a first and um uh so Lynch has like sort of accompanied me in uh, most of my like or all of my film watching life if you like talk, like if we're talking sort of the the uh the <laughs> re- rebirth uh with like sixteen seventeen when you start you know watching serious films and uh sort of um start uh, getting interested in film as a medium and art form and stuff and, and Lynch has has been there for me um, the entire time I think uh, Blue Velvet was my my first and I quickly watched uh, other ones and and so this was a gap for me um, no doubt also because of you know the nature of the film being like so different and uh, like obviously different it's like I wasn't going into this uh, expecting um, um you know the Lynch I I am familiar with. It's not. Um, it's not a racer head so... for sure. <laughs> well, the, no, it's the not... funny thing mm-hmm. for me is that it's taking uh, Lynch's cinematographer from like um, I think I think a racer head. Um, at least it's coming from uh, several of Lynch's past works. I know the cinematographer worked on Dune and uh, a couple of his previous films. I um, think uh, yeah, Elephant yep. Man. I think. Oh, yeah, yeah, Elephant Man, that's what I'm thinking of, thank you. And uh, this was his cinematographer's final film, and he was very trusted with Lynch, and uh, just like the way he shoots, like, a country road can make it look lonely, and it can make it look haunting, um, and you pair that with, like, Battle Lamente, and you have a Lynch signature somehow, uh, that, that another director filming the same thing with the same people would never get. Yeah, so... um I wanted to uh, come back to what David said, uh, like joke about it's not a razor head. That's true, but it's all. I, I would say it's really nothing like. Well, it, the closest parallel is obviously the Twin Peaks. Uh, you know, sort of the milieu, the pe- the kind of people you you meet and see. That's there's there's sort of a parallel there to, to Twin Peaks for sure. Although um, without that, you know, that quiet abyss that will open up underneath. Uh, the entire thing 
Um, not to say that there isn't like um, sort of a <clears throat> sort of a, a dark um, subcurrent here, which is like um, sort of the the background, the you know World War Two uh, background, the daughter's story and stuff. There's stuff there that mostly through explicit like exposition um, is imported into into this uh, or injected into this story that sort of lends it, you know. Lends it a bit of that. Um, it's, it's not a, like a purely like feel. Yeah, there's um, there's definitely a sense of existentialism um, still. I think in a lot of what's going on, especially in the the broken relationships we see in the very the melancholy mood through um, Alvin's character throughout, and this this confrontation with uh, I think the end of your life and the uh, the absence of of spirit. I think he feels there's a great conversation he has with the, a bunch of cyclists at one point in the film where he talks about he says what is like the, the worst thing about being old is remembering your when you were young. And the guy is playing football in front of him, and he has this great the uh, Farnsworth moment where he kind of bends his hat down, and you see like a moment of inflection. Yeah. So mm-hmm. there's definitely that that thread of uh, mm-hmm. yeah you know. That, that undercurrent of Lynch still running through the film, but it, like, as you said, it's not like nightmarish or you know like a entirely um, destructive feeling like you get in a lot of other Lynch films. I think. Well, nothing truly bad. I mean, even happens. The worst thing that happens is the girl runs into a yeah, deer. That, and and that's <laughs> one of those weird nightmarish things I thought about that felt Lynchy when that moment comes up and she's freaking out. And this this idea, it felt it felt very kind of surreal, <laughs> yeah. Lynchy, and kind of this idea that she she like, hits a deer almost twice a week. You know, effectively, is this idea here? But she yeah. has to go on that road, right? And, th- and yeah, that felt very to. in line with. Yeah, again, in a more humorous, like in a darkly humorous way, uh, you know, I found that very in line with with Lynch's style there, which which I got a, a kick out of. <laughs> which makes me think you'll really like Twin Peaks. I think, just like Pablo is saying, it's going to go along the same lines of the dusty American town, and uh, it's right. about the people in it, really, and their peculiarities. Um, yeah, I feel like the. The film's broken up very cleanly into all of his stops. Like, it's, it's a road movie, but it's really about the times he it's stops an odyssey. and talks It's to very, very Homer-esque, I think, in that way, in the way he, you know, he makes many stops along the way and meets with many interesting characters. And again, I think those those eccentric background characters that are you find endearing is also a very Lynchian element of the film that you never lose. I think everyone that Richard Farnsworth encounters throughout the film is, is fascinating and interesting in their own unique ways. They stand out. Right. They're mostly un- uh, unlike, um, unlike Ulysses, he sort of, uh, <clears throat> he gets support, like he did- doesn't find like challenges to overcome, but more like he right. finds help, like or finds like understanding people, compassion, uh, compassionate mm-hmm. people. Um, and uh, yeah. Um, Much like uh, Super Mario <laughs> Odyssey, he has a very powerful hat. I, I, I like what you mentioned there, yeah. though, uh, that's, about, that's... about... I also have a video game joke about yeah. this. I, I should say it now before we move on. I also, I also thought, this, this is the first Strand-type movie, I think. This is a little Death Stranding, mm-hmm. uh, Death Stranding uh, joke for you. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, it's a Strand, I, I could see that, yeah. Strand-type movie, yeah. But... Uh, no, I, Sorry, I like. Go ahead. Neither of us have played Death Stranding, you're, so we don't know. You're about the one it operating either. the video game podcast. We're we're the movie people here. That's, yeah, that's why I had to I had to make but this I, joke. Yeah. 
for I, very I do good like what you said about him encountering people who who help him along the way and who are very kind and, and generous because I think that's that ideal of middle America that we that we tend to you know think about and romanticize here you know that uh, that we, I think a lot of people are, are drawn to in many ways and that Lynch certainly wants to uh, accentuate here. Yeah. Um, so you're both you're both really into this, right? Um, like you you both found I, it very. I enjoyed this quite uh, a lot. This was also my first time watching it. I was very uh, emotionally bowled over by it, and mm-hmm. I found it very beautiful. And especially, I was very endeared by uh, Richard Farnsworth in the lead here, who's a, a wonderful, wonderful character actor who I've loved in other films. I don't know if we mentioned him in our like third podcast we did on Misery, but he's wonderful in that, which is. It's one of my favorite movies as well, yeah. and you know, I I also have some affection of him as a mainstay uh, Hollywood person. He was a he was a stunt man early in his career, and he worked with the likes of Ford and Hawks on uh, The Grapes of Wrath and Red River, some two big films he did stunts for, which I think is uh, incredible. And it was very sad as well to know uh, his ultimate, um, you know, uh, conclusion at the end of this. He uh, he sh- uh, shot himself shortly after uh, the release of The Straight Story, which is very sad. Yeah, it would be his final film as well, in addition to that cinematographer. And I think I, I really value it because it, I don't know, it feels like a capsule of time. And uh, it feels like a film that could only come from the 90s in some sense. I, I don't feel like we would have made this after hmm. 9-11 in the 2000s. We wouldn't have made a hopeful story about Americans being good to each other and trusting each other in hmm. like a road yeah. trip sense. Yeah, I... uh so so for me um sort of the, the thinking about this i was like uh, again i have to come back to like <laughs> my sort of my relationship with with lynch and what i think he can do mm-hmm. as a filmmaker so uh and, and i think it's a fantastic execution on the on ultimately a, the classic road trip formula it's like you know it's not a doesn't really um Aside, you can talk. You can talk about the pacing being um, well, not the pacing. The pacing is, is also really great. Just the tempo, um, um, sort of being adjusted uh, for the main character. So it's way sort of plays out slower, but it still works out because the pacing is uh, is adjusted to to work with it. Um, <clears throat> but ultimately, it's still it's a classic, you know, classic road trip film. Um, on the one hand, and on the other hand, it's also like a biopic, obviously. Um, mm. So uh, I was like, okay, so the biggest challenge here is obviously to avoid the uh, insufferable tropes that uh, we've seen come out of both the right. genres, um, both the biopic and the road trip movie. And and I, I thought it, I was really you know astounded that it managed uh, managed to avoid most of them. I would say. Uh, obviously, some exposition, which I'd already mentioned earlier, is is needed in spots. That's fine. Um, I think one thing, and I'm gonna be, it's gonna be controversial. I think is that didn't work quite work for me. Is well, first of all, I, I don't think it always succeeds in avoiding the sort of maudlin sentimental territory that is sort of inherent, an inherent mm-hmm. pitfall at least to the material like this. It's a com- really, it's a danger with the material. It doesn't, you know, uh, have to uh, work out like that. But and, and it, for the most part, it doesn't. But I think there's still some moments where, like, you know, the subject of age and like sort of death and uh, um, 
loneliness, um, etc., illness and stuff. You know, there's pitfalls there, and I think it does it, it avoids most of them, but not all of them. And part of that, I think, for me is uh, <laughs> and don't don't uh, don't 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 be mad at me, but the the soundtrack I think for me is a little bit overbearing in this respect. Um, I think it sort of seals the deal on some of those moments being, you know, sort of falling, ending up on on a on a on a sentimental side of things. Um, right, I can for me. I can definitely see that, and certainly we won't uh, crucify you right here uh, for this. But uh, <laughs> generally, I yeah. think the from the reception I've seen, the soundtrack is something people really enjoy, and that I certainly was uh, taken in by. Uh, I think because. Uh, I don't know if I, I think I would have felt yeah. a lot similar to that because it does definitely uh, skew into overly sentimental or you know kind of emotionally cloying at times. Um, but you know it was something that really worked for me. Like, like it feels like a traditional Disney mm. live action film and how it's like really pulling for your heartstrings there a lot of the times. But you would say yeah. it's earned, and, uh, and a lot of a lot of it comes uh, from the. Case. The sincerity yeah. of, of Richard Farnsworth as an actor here, you know, I really believe him throughout. Uh, I, yeah. I would. It's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's hard to say. It's not like he's necessarily like really acting or doing something different than he's done before. But I just I've always believed him, and he, he's always very genuine in that sense. And so it works in tandem for me with the very emotionally, uh, you know, pulling score there with the the acoustic guitar and the violin sounds that theme. Uh, you hear throughout the movie, I find is very, very touching. It is very affecting for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think that it's so emotionally honest that I don't feel like it's ever cloying for me. Um, I, I think the, I think the soundtrack makes it dark. If anything, I don't think it makes it sentimental. Um, I think it's fatalistic at best. Oh, it's interesting. If, okay. I, Okay, that wasn't my perception of it. No, uh, definitely with the sort of melancholy tone, I would I wouldn't say it yeah. makes it like you know this. I wouldn't say it makes it like this cheery you know chipper affair. But um, I don't know, like uh, when it's showing the landscape shots with this great cinematographer, there's a lot of good photography there. But I feel like it's lifted and manipulated by like really dark sounds, and hmm. I feel like it's even darker than the sounds of like Twin Peaks. I feel like he really twists it in Battle of Menti, like makes it, I don't know, it sounds heavier. I think there's like a moment <laughs> where it is uh, sentimental, but uh, it, I mean, Disney had, had to have is a Is there a scene in particular you're thinking of that, that uses sure. the music to, to accentuate a darkness or uh, the more melancholy aspect of the film? Oh, every... Every time it lifts back and goes over a piece of scenery, there's something dark in the music that kind of changes the landscape where uh, you would never compose it to that image. I think I was just, uh, you know, for me, the landscape shots and stuff were Malick-esque mm-hmm. sometimes, and yeah, they, which is they not a, which for me is not entirely a compliment because I find his uh, sort of uh, way, the way he shoots vistas, um, and sort of treats um, nature and landscape and stuff. I find it to be hollow sometimes, like uh, sort of relying on a very um, outward, like quote unquote beauty, but sort of being ultimately is, is very sensualist and like sort of ringing a bit void at, at, at the core. So that was sort of a parallel for me. And so I didn't really, that was, so that wasn't really, and I don't think it was like, 
as bad in this case, but um, no, uh, I think if anything in this case, it's saying this is a void. You know, I don't feel like right. Okay, I feel like the sure. music is is expressing that is a void. Like sure, I don't sure, think it's I can as see that sensualist mm. as Malik because it's not celebrating the landscape. Yeah, no, I can, I can, um, I, I could see that. Yeah, no, that makes sense, and it didn't bother me in the same way that it did for. Uh, they did in, in Malik films. So, uh, so yeah, uh, I think, I think, no, I think it's totally quality work overall. It's really, really, um, there's little, um, objections to be, to be made. I just, I, I think, I think it's quality, but with the limitation for me personally, um, considering Lynch's capabilities. Um, like I have, I have, I think it's very uh, well crafted. I think it has great character, character work. Um, and really, sort of there's also an academic interest there of like how you know how how, how does lynch pull off this uh straight story which you know he really does play it straight yeah. can't really say he doesn't <laughs> um i'll say i, I definitely think it feels feel like... a lot more characteristically of uh, lynch of him than something like a, a bit more commercial like uh, the elephant man for example which also you know jumps into a lot of uh, sentimental mm-hmm. and you know emotionally pulling stuff but but does feel more like a straight straight biopic than this does uh especially watching i think the straight story i don't get I didn't, I didn't get the sense necessarily that this was like a a structured reflection of a real event it definitely felt almost like a, a scripted and original story on its own right i should say that uh not just so that i'm not uh, misunderstood obviously lynch works um great deal with uh sentimentality and like um cliche uh in in his films for example in wild at heart he that's like half of what he's doing is like um working with like overly overly uh expressed uh emotions and like cliche um so it's good that you mentioned that so just you know i should i should clarify let's continue uh, from here yeah, we're good to go uh, um what do you guys think uh, is the best stop in the movie i'm very partial to the bar scenes i feel like him getting the miller light and how the bartender treats him that's just really good stuff um i, I, I guess i'll go i got here i like uh the stop with the priest a lot uh where he talks where he talks and he opens okay. up about his uh his trouble that he had with his brother. We don't we never find out what the conflict really was with Lyle and uh you know what caused them to be so uh you know distanced for for so long, but I think that really, you know, that uh, I think obscuring it like that makes it better because we can project onto it uh, a greater tragedy than I think uh, whatever we could put into words and the connection with the priest especially and, and just this idea of, you know, kind of uh, hanging out around the the fire. It's very nice and indicative, I think, of mm. the the spirit of the entire film. I feel like, in some mm. way, Farnsworth represents like Lynch's entire idea about uh, what he wants Americans to be. So, sort of a utopian spin on it. Um, sure, I, uh, I, I can see like, that. I feel like uh, Farnsworth is just what Lynch values. Uh, I mm. feel like he. It, this is clearly a very dear film to him. Mm-hmm. And I feel like he feels it deeply. And when Farnsworth talks, it's weird. I hear Lynch in like most of it. I feel my favorite stop was the extended one he does when his uh, when his mm-hmm. tractor like breaks down. His uh, lawnmower, sorry, <laughs> breaks down. Uh, obviously, that's a bit of a bit you know treating a bit here in a way. But I can actually pinpoint what I actually sort of really enjoyed about it is this: where you get to see like a different microcosm 
um, for a second in this, you know, new, like, small town. Uh, you get to meet some of the characters there. Um, but they're all, like, shown... Like, one of my favorite scenes is just the when he asks for the telephone, right. the cordless uh, phone, uh, to be <laughs> yeah. brought out. And then the guy goes back in uh, and like, just quickly talks to his wife. Uh, and she says, hey... Um, why don't you drive him? Or like, why don't you offer to uh, to drive him and stuff? And sort of that quick interaction, uh, in with very few strokes uh, of the brush, uh, sort of, I I got a really great uh, idea of like this this married couple, uh, their their dynamic. So it's sort of this microcosm of this new town is sort of re it's, uh, that applies to this to this entire uh, new town the microcosm of it it's painted with a few uh sort of broad strokes but you can still get so much from it um so i love even yeah. entering the town the just the way that um well the camera like does oh, yeah. the triple zoom in on him and then the way he's shaking and he's I, I really feel like he's about to have a heart attack it's, the way he's so red and blustery and 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 that burning barn too it's a is very really well cool directed shot. almost kind of like action sequence there where you got a really intense uh shaking camera it really puts you in in the seat there and makes you feel the tension and stress of a near you know crash with the with the tractor which doesn't seem like something that could you know you know like pick up that much speed i think if you're looking at it you know from a more uh, you know, dejected point of view there. <laughs> I just talked to a kid today while dropping my daughter off, and he's like, I was just riding my bike. He's like, Ezra's dad, Ezra's dad, I, I want to tell you, it, and I was shaking so bad and I was, as I was coming down the grass, I lost all control, and I, I, I just remembered, like, that feeling and that sensation from this movie is so distinct. Mm. I'll say one, uh, one, one, actually, because I wanted to sort of... Uh, um, Give an example for uh, what I said. Or some of my, you know, minor criticisms earlier. I, um, I think one uh, one thing where it's not sort of uh, where it sort of trips up is like um, when when he talks about his uh, his war story. Sort of, you just get talking mm -hmm. in a raw way, and that's sort of the most effective and powerful way to do it. Um, I think it's. Uh, sort of not in line with that uh, with that credo to show to do the um, you know for the for the daughter to do the same thing uh, regarding you know the the uh, history she has with her children being taken away from her and stuff. Uh, there you get this sort of motif twice it shows up first time it's introduced you don't know what it's about yet and then later it's it returns when you know sort of her history is the kid playing with the ball mm. and I, I thought those shots were sort of not in line with uh, with the sort of philosophy of the film I thought I felt those the shots of the kid with the ball were sort of too yeah too, too explicit too on the and nose like, um, I can see that too on the nose yeah 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 um but uh, but yeah, I th I think overall it's really uh, it's a great film, and I again I don't, I'm not sure how much it will like stay with me. I'm not sure it will yeah. haunt me. <laughs> I won't mull mull it over, mull it over like other films, uh, other Lynch yeah. films for me. So I'm a little bit so yeah. There's sort of a cap on my on my enjoyment of it, but for the runtime of it, um, I was still uh, admired. Uh, um, 
admire it. Uh, it's definitely, greatly. yeah. I love the whole feeling about tracking back to your youth and like going to explore and find your family and how it feels to return home, um, maybe for the final time, and how like uh, even. Well, the whole journey to get there is like this big thing, right? Like it's across country, it's going to take multiple days, and then you get there and uh, all you have for your brother is the, I did Lyle, you know, and then the extension into Great, yep. Great ending, yeah. Uh, I definitely Great th- ending. I just love how minimal right. the speech is. It's, it's a really definitely. great ending, a good stamp on the end of the film and, you know, punctuates that very nicely. Uh, I think I agree with you there, uh, Pavlos, that it's not as characteristically Lynchian and thus, you know, maybe not as, like, like uh, permanently memorable. And, you know, when we think about Lynch, and it's not one we're going to immediately draw on, but I think it might be the most uh, eminently watchable of his just because it's a lot more, you know, easy to digest and wholesome. And, I, you know, I can see a, a kind of value in it for <laughs> for that comforting sake of it as opposed to something like Racerhead or Blue Velvet or Mulholland Drive or, or whatnot, though I'm sure there are many people who are compelled to, to revisit those for those experiences just as often. I'm sure we'll get you on yeah, Twin that, Peaks. That, that'll be a whole, whole series <laughs> I think maybe we can eventually do. We'll do an episode by episode breakdown with me having no idea what's going on. Well, <laughs> yeah, another new podcast. New podcast. <laughs> I mean, the good thing is this yeah, that was actually the plan. Is the good thing is that this uh, new podcast has opened us up to you know being able to do new shows, and uh, we're going to keep this one going, of course, as a central show. But uh, always happy to have a yeah, more so expansion on the site. Yeah, really glad to uh, to be able to uh, contribute. And now, if we want to do like a mini series, like say uh, like uh, Pavlo or someone has wants to go through a series, we could do that, and we could have a separate podcast. It's, it's now it's now is the time now. for launching new podcasts. I think everyone is seeing since we're all stuck indoors. But I think uh, you know I'm very excited about our new one yeah. here with you, uh, the Pavlos and Bro. And, and let's be honest, there's not enough. There's no, not no. enough podcasts. <laughs> out there. It's it's no. it's a very untapped market right now. 